In October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappeared in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary called The Blair Witch Project. A year later, their footage was found. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry because it is my fault because it was my project. So for this episode, we chose the 1999 film, The Blair Witch Project, forever known as that movie that was a super scary hand cam film that has the famous scene where we have a great angle up to a girl's nostrils. It's a found footage movie of people in the woods trying to document the setting of where multiple murders and unexplained phenomenon occurred, credited to The Blair Witch. So Alex, you and I talked about this during our last uh, episode reviewing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I I guess I'm going to take credit for reviewing this one, because one of the greatest appeals of this film was the fact that it was a uh, a low-budget film, but a huge success. And uh, why don't we start with the year, 1999. I was in junior high. Uh, I was 14 years old. How how old were you? <laughs> I was uh, I was five. Okay. <laughs> uh, so did <laughs> so did your irresponsible ass parents take you to see this in the movie theaters? Or... No, <laughs> okay, no, good. thankfully not. Good work, um, Mister Mrs. Schrode. Yeah, I don't think I saw this movie actually until I was in high school. I think. I and I definitely did not see it the year it came out. I I also saw it. Uh, sometime in high school as a rental so i didn't get the theater experience that most people did but regardless the hype and the uh the deliverable was was certainly something to to be spoken about even till this day and you and i were talking about films that could be made on low budgets and this film is almost like the king of low budget high grossing films the production budget was uh sixty thousand dollars and it ended up making uh, $250 million in the box office. That's not a, not a bad profit. <laughs> <Not> a bad... <laughs> and, and I will say that $60,000 is certainly within, uh, within our budget if we are doing <laughs> our jobs and make a horror film. So yeah. the, the Blair Witch is, is going to be the, the bar that we're striving for. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from the low budget aspect of it, what actually really made this movie interesting was its viral marketing campaign. The search of the three missing Montgomery College students continues in Frederick County tonight. Ten days and thousands of man hours have been unable to produce any clues. We have a few leads, um, a few other options we want to take advantage of and just try to put together some, uh, some pieces to this puzzle. Do you believe the occult may be involved in the disappearance of your son? So let's think, let's think back to 1999, and Alex, you're just going to have to hear old man stories from, from my perspective, but high-speed internet wasn't a thing yet. We still had the whole dial-up. My brother and I were still arguing over, you know, who, who could jump on AIM and, you know, holler at their girls. Uh, the, the quality of the internet just wasn't there yet, and what I would say is that it, the internet at that time was large enough that you could share information, but it wasn't resourceful enough for people to debunk anything. So there wasn't a Snopes.com out there. There wasn't, you know, um, 
a bunch of YouTube YouTubers or bloggers that could kind of pick apart the story or, you know, instantly put on a website like, oh, hey, I actually saw these people alive They're You know, they're my neighbors and I play, you know, handball with them every Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, there was none of that going on. So there was this huge aura of mystery around this film regarding whether or not uh, the events of the Blair Witch Project were actually real. Yeah. And it, it it's really interesting, too, um, that. The marketing campaign for it didn't just stop at the internet. Like they also had street teams in different cities, like putting up flyers and posters saying that these three individuals were missing. And then the, the website was attached to these, these flyers. So it made the buzz of it almost like people are fascinated with, you know, like criminal TV shows like law and order and and stuff Mm. like that. So seeing these, these flyers out, like just in public as you're walking down the street, I feel like it kind of added to the, to the eeriness of the marketing campaign that they were truly trying to frame it as something that happened and something that was real and uh, actual, you know, either crimes or paranormal phenomena were actually occurring somewhere in the United States. Yeah, it added that level of authenticity to it. And uh, to your point, you know, they, the, the marketing team went a step further and made a documentary about that documentary team. <laughs> like, ah, they disappeared. Um, and they, you know, they created the, the whole urban legend of the, the Blair Witch and got that uh, at ver- on, on various sites on the Internet. They even made, you know, fake journals, other background, I think, too, for each of these people. And, and I believe the imdb page for these people and i guess imdb was a thing back in you know 1999 2000 uh it listed the actors but it listed them as missing or dead yeah which is absolutely awesome and to think that you know the only way you can really get buzzed about this again is through this website that you would possibly visit or some you know flyers that are going around on the you know posted about around town i remember reading about this in the newspaper actually really Um, i remember yeah i remember reading the review on it and um you know there there was like a a letters to the editor sort of section and the entertainment pages and it was just a bunch of people that had flooded the page with their perspectives on whether or not they thought it was real so oh interesting to think that something like that would actually make it into the newspaper um a shows kind of how how slow our times were you know 21 years ago uh, but also how successful they were in doing this. 21 years later, we're we're still talking about it, and you know, it, it more or less it has established itself as the the godfather of found the found footage genre. It wasn't necessarily the first film to do it, but <laughs> it definitely was the best to do it. And I think um, you know, when you, like, and not just for the horror genre, but but for films in general, you think about movies like Chronicle and mm-hmm. Searching, which is one of my favorite movies in the past five years, uh, do follow the kind of found footage format, but uh, aren't necessarily horror films. So it, the impact was there, and I, I'm just super stoked to talk about it, even just from this kind of high-level money and marketing-wise. These are things that I never really thought we'd even be talking about on this podcast, but the more I read into this after watching this film, the more fascinated I was about it, and wow. the more I am certainly getting ideas. So 
kind of like the the marketing campaign that was used for for this film um i don't know why but i watching like some background information on how the marketing campaign was developed have you seen the fire festival documentaries yes okay <laughs> so it kind of reminded me of how firefest started up where they got yeah. um that marketing company uh fuck jerry <laughs> and like they got all these celebrities to post the same like bright orange square on instagram right right and then yeah. it, it built up this buzz and i feel like i don't know i doubt that they were like taking a a page out of the the blair witch project book when they were <laughs> coming up with campaign. but but building a buzz to where it's noticed by a bunch of people but no one has a real identity for what it is and it creates a mystery around it is like just brilliant marketing because people will talk about it and discuss it. And that's your marketing right there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like that's something that low budget films or low budget, non-existent music festivals. Uh, that's something <laughs> that, you know, like we could definitely play on when mm -hmm. it comes to once the movie itself has been made marketing it so that it's, it, it creates a buzz of mystery around it and not just like, Oh, here's a movie, like go watch it. Well, the fire festival. Uh, in, in, to your point about the marketing, yeah, the the orange squares on Instagram was was genius. Um, they also had a hype video that, you know, I remember seeing it and be like, "Whoa, that looks cool!" And they were able to get you know the all the super influencers on Instagram to That's to show up and swim with. Uh, I, I guess jump in the ocean with some swimming pigs. So yeah. if, if you if you have uh, Kylie Jenner's phone number or Emily Ratajkowski's number or have access to a swimming pig. Uh, yeah, one of those three. Uh, um, I, I, we'll we'll start our viral marketing campaign now for our movie that we haven't made yet. Chances are way higher of the third uh, <laughs> of the swimming pig than the than the, the first two options. So uh, yeah, I'll get on that. <laughs> awesome, thanks, Alex. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the found footage genre. Budget aside, which is very very appealing to me. What do you like about the approach? Um. So, like, going back to what I was saying about, like, uh, I, I, I really, festival. the festival, yeah, I'm just going to talk about that the whole time. <laughs> um, but like, creating a mystery, a, a mystery around any sort of art, I feel automatically generates a buzz. And the mystery of a found footage film, I feel, puts the, the viewer in the shoes of somebody that would be maybe investigating this and and i think it gives the viewer a little bit more ownership in watching the movie because you know if you watch like what we were like we watched um a few weeks ago texas chainsaw massacre like other than a few jump scares there's not a really big um audience interaction there's not a good mm -hmm. way to bring the audience in further unless you identify with a character or something like that i feel like with a found footage film you automatically have a little bit more ownership as a viewer because you're there's a there's a mystery going on right with 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 what happened in this documentary supposedly so it for a lot of people i feel like it gives them the opportunity to to figure it out on their own as they go along to add on to that, I think the the sharing of information in here is always you, you learn about things the same way that the, the characters do, which I like. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no scenes where the the character you know walks off screen and then you know a, a creepy shadow kind of 
skimpers around the back and you're like oh shit what is that right yeah something like that is meant to scare the audience but isn't really meant to scare the the characters mm-hmm. um which i i think is cheap but the uh what also i like about this found footage or the found footage approach is the documentary feel and not all of found footage is is always the documentary approach right you again going back to uh, chronicle and searching and they're, the backstory isn't they're filming with the intent of making a documentary. Sometimes it's just some guy who wanted to you know turn on his camera. Yeah. Um, but what I liked about this is is the interviews uh, with the town folk and mm-hmm. how it, within a short you know I'm going to say a five ten minute montage for a very very efficient movie by the way they're able to kind of generate this buzz within the movie okay about what this what this witch was or what is the urban legend behind all these different people that were affected by it. Mm -hmm. And I I think that part is really, really cool. Yeah, I agree. I, with the the documentary style, I feel like it's so important to feel like none of these people are acting, right? We want to feel like these people are like actually living this experience. And I, I truly felt like in that, in that first, you know, five to 10 minute range, we, we were getting like true, just genuine people that are being pulled over, like in like the Walgreen parking lot, you know, <laughs> like to, to ask them a question, right? Like the, the woman, I'm specifically thinking about the woman with her child. Yeah. Who's uh, covering her mouth. Yeah. Like, that was, that was actually kind of scary. I thought. Yeah. Right. Like that's a bad omen, right? <laughs> um, Uh-huh. And they were camped near the cabin or something that she's supposed to haunt. No, uh-huh. And they disappeared off the face of the earth. No. Really? Okay, it's all right, Ingrid. I'm just telling a scary story, but it's not true. It's not true. If people mess up or they misspeak and, you know, they have to, like, take that cut again, like, we see glimpses of that in the movie. And that leads us more to believe, like, oh, this is, like, a truly believable thing. Like, no one says the right thing. 100% of the time like sometimes you just need to like take another another cut of it and it was just it was very organic it felt um and specifically too not having music was really important because i feel like in a lot of horror films music kind of builds the suspense for for things but without music it really made it feel more of like a documentary and like this is just footage you know like we're just showing you the facts of what happened like we're not trying to to butter it up or anything like that Mm -hmm. um i i'm gonna i agree with your point about the music though one issue that i took with this film particularly doing the found footage was when you personally i think that when you do a found footage film there has to be a reason for why they're out there recording. I think that that number one is very, very important. Um, you have to justify it. It can't just be like, oh, hey, I picked up this camcorder and I just thought I'd, you know, I'd turn it on. Um, you know, it, there has to be a clear reason of why you're recording things, why yep. you why you turned on your camera for specific instances. Mm-hmm. And I think in this film, you know, they were they were definitely rolling in, in some very intense moments that I if I was running for my life, I don't think I'd be carrying a, you know, <laughs> a heavy yeah. ass ham quarter <laughs> up yeah, and down you, the stairs. You wouldn't try to be like, uh, like taking evidence of what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like kind of stretch, but the last and possibly the most important thing is 
why would it be cut? Like who would cut it the way that it was? And if it, if it was, you know, if somebody did go back and cut it a certain way, then it, it becomes inauthentic. And I think that's my biggest problem with this film for the found footage aspect is the end because you're quick cutting, you know, you're doing a bunch of quick cuts, but you're also cutting between two cameras, like the way that it's shown. Mm -hmm. And there's no justification for why they would do that other than just for the effect of um, scaring an audience, which I think is, you know, that's where the very, very end is where, where it kind of falls flat. I hear him. I hear him. I hear you, Josh! I'm going upstairs! Where is he? Where are you? But I think what helps the movie at the very end is that we get basically an hour and ten minutes or so of them kind of like meandering through the woods and panicking here and there about being lost. But the very end, there's so much going on that you... It's hard to think about like, oh no, they're cutting from this camera to this camera. You're just truly trying to figure out what, what the hell is going on. Why is uh, Mike going upstairs and then downstairs? Yeah, and I feel like I feel like that works to their advantage. I feel like I feel like it added to the chaos of the moment of what what was going on. Yeah, it definitely did, and I think it's um, it was more me thinking after the fact and thinking about okay, like the the larger picture of the, yeah. the ending and the conspiracy theories regarding the ending that made me think kind of kind of start picking apart those aspects. But um, and we'll we'll talk about that at the very end. But when kind of overall, when it comes to found footage in general, I I, I really think it's important to. Uh, I'm actually more in favor of something that is just one shot straight on because you don't need to justify why they turn something why they turned on the camera or why they turned off camera or why something is being shown to you in the order um or in the edited final product that you're seeing it in Um, yeah and, and i think that that actually that actually is if we are to make a horror film when we make the horror film uh, if we are to go the direction of found footage that would be something that would be very i would I would uh, argue very strongly for. Yeah, a single cut. I I, I like that a lot. To to wrap it up, I, I to wrap up the the segment on found footage. I also want to add that the sound actually was a little bit difficult for me to follow. The scene that I'm thinking about in particular is the tent scene where mm-hmm. they wake up and there's a bunch of stuff going on outside. I think some of the people start hitting, like whoever's on the outside starts hitting the tent. Yep. And, uh, but like all the sounds leading up to that, I couldn't hear. And I was actually watching this movie with headphones on. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I was trying to watch bits of the movie on my regular TV, but I just, I just couldn't, mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't handle the, uh, the shakiness for some reason. I got a little sick and be like, I just couldn't hear anything at all. Yeah. Um, I, I ended up having to watch with, um, 
<laughs> subtitles because <laughs> <laughs> and i will say like seeing like distant screams um is not the same effect as like actually hearing it um yeah. but i couldn't hear it so <laughs> yeah yeah which is uh, i i think took away from it and and I'm, again i was watching it with headphones and that the last scene if you watch it with headphones the sound doesn't even make sense because the whole time the sound is i think being recorded from mike's camcorder so Mm -hmm. when you switch to um heather's angle and she's running up and down the stairs yeah you you hear her screams but they're really really far away oh interesting yeah yeah so i i don't know if um if you you still have the Google Play rental and it hasn't expired like mine did, um, <laughs> but you could probably find the clip on YouTube and and watch with headphones on because okay. it's it's really odd. Um, yeah, I so like I definitely agree with the sound and even at some parts where they're like in they're in the woods and talking to each other, it like it sounds like they're only use they're not using like any kind of like mics or anything like that. They're just getting the. Mm-hmm the the audio from the video clip that's being recorded Uh, and it's it's so hard for me to also like hear things that are being said in 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 that as well and i think are we just senile old men (laughs) i mean we might be i i i i've been to like enough concerts where my ears have been ringing for like two to three days afterwards that like at a certain point i feel like maybe i just can't hear well uh maybe that's our problem um (laughs) But uh, but yeah, I, I, I feel like the sound issue too, though. Like this is found footage, right? So mm. you know they don't have like an audio file, you know, to to pair with it. So I, while it does like aid to the mystery of it being like a uh, like a found footage film, it's not conducive for like watching this found footage in your living room or anything or something like that. Uh, I would really love the opportunity to watch it in a theater. Mm-hmm. Cause I wonder if a theater would be able to kind of create the sound space that we're, that we're like looking for, for a movie like this. Yeah. Actually, that's, that's interesting. And if movie theaters ever open up again, I, I guess AMC's decided to open up. Um, maybe we should look for a clat, like a, a theater that plays old films and maybe yeah. ha- Halloween, we can try to catch Blair, Witch. uh, that would be, yeah. So maybe, well, so listeners, check back in after we do that, and maybe our, our thoughts will change. Uh, l- let's move on and talk a little bit more about the film specifically. Um, in a vacuum, what was scary about this film? Uh, what made this a little bit more unique? Found footage aside, the the main like the main part of the movie is them just being like completely lost in mm-hmm. this. Uh, in this forest anyone that's gone out camping or hiking or something like that like there's always that like kind of fear that if you stray anywhere from the path you know you're gonna you might get lost or you might get you know turned around or something like that and you know those shows like survivor man and man versus wild that like they teach you like how to survive in the wilderness if you get lost in them like I feel like there's a general fear about getting lost anywhere but specifically out in the woods where like you don't have resources people can't come find you no, no, Mike, it's not the same log. It's not the same log, Mike. Same log. Look, it's not. It is. Open your eyes. It's Open not the eyes. same log. It's not, it's not 
Back then, there were no cell phones, right? So you couldn't just like find your way out. Um, mm-hmm. So the and you couldn't take a snapshot of the map that gets kicked into the, the, river, the river, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and only and only relying on a piece of paper, which eventually you know gets gets destroyed. Uh, there's something really scary about that. That's your only lifeline to get in or out of where you're looking. Um, so I I feel like that was like the first. I wouldn't necessarily call it scary, but just it made the whole scenario really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's the most relatable thing to what you were saying, like to to the biggest horror film skeptic, to the you know to the easy scaredy cat. I, I think everybody can identify with that feeling and, and the frustration. I mean, the I, I I don't know how long I'd argue with you about not having the map, but it, it would definitely be a long discussion. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I, I I completely agree that being lost in the woods is is a big fear of mine, and you know, good thing I'm an Eagle Scout, and I know that right. moss yeah. grows on the north side. I think. I think <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, I'm not going in the woods with you anytime. <laughs> <laughs> the north side, I think. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and and the second thing that actually I thought was really scary about the film is not seeing the villain. Um, throughout the film, you know, we we do, never get a, a a glimpse or a real good idea of who is you know is terrorizing them at night and who commits the murders at the end. And I think that the fact that there never really is any closure on that is both very, very scary and very interesting to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's something brilliant about not having a villain because one, that's less either CGI or less budget. You have to spend on a costume, another another actor. But also, you the villain kind of is created in the viewer's mind right like like when i'm watching the very end of this movie or when i'm watching the scene where there's a bunch of like what whatever entity is banging on the tent i'm picturing something and we're all picturing something right that thing is different for everybody and like the thing that we're picturing is probably the scariest thing that we could possibly think of at that moment. So I feel like not being able to see the villain, at least initially, is really a really well done, uh, I guess, trope within the horror film genre. I will say, though, I was a little let down that we didn't get to see the villain. I, I would have really loved <laughs> to see what the Blair Witch looked like. Like, uh, I, I can't even envision it. Like I like I I don't want to picture like your classic Halloween like green witch with a with a broomstick <laughs> flying around you know like I want to I want to picture something like truly horrific and we got a little taste of that at the beginning of the film right when um, I forget her name but that woman who had like reportedly had a run in with the Blair Witch oh Mary Brown yeah yeah Mary Brown um, we get a good idea of about of what it might look like and how the Blair Witch apparently like doesn't touch the ground ever. Uh, but at the same time, it would have been so satisfying. I feel to have at least seen like a glimpse or maybe like some like blurred out clip of it at the very end of the movie. 
<laughs> yeah, especially after the camera drops, right? You yeah. think you would see something after the camera drop. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about the end uh, later because I think what made this movie interesting is the discussions about the end. Uh, I will tell you this, though. In the 2016 film, The, the Blair Witch, which is uh, supposedly a, a sequel to The Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. you do see the witch at the very end. Yeah. I did see like a couple of clips from that on um, that movie on YouTube. Um, terrifying, looks terrifying. <laughs> but also, I think it was. I think one of the complaints from that movie was that it was a little too CGI for, mm-hmm. for a lot of viewers' taste. And I don't know if the movie did as well as the Blair Witch. Oh, definitely not. Witch. And I, and I don't think that that Blair that interpretation of the Blair Witch that you see even matches what Mary Brown was describing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was basically like a like a half yeti. Yeah, she, she was describing like a like a, a hair, like a hairy chested being with female parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I from what I remember the clips on YouTube of seeing the the most recent Blair Witch, that's it's, it's like a skinny like kind of like a slender very, man type of yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the end uh, next, but I do want to get into um, what else. I the other thing that I found scary about this film was the breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. um, and what I call breadcrumbs are basically the the little hints that there was something odd going on there. And uh, the one that sticks out in my mind the most is when they're when they get to that clearing, or it's not really even a clearing, but this little section of the forest where you just have a bunch of the voodoo voodoo sticks mm-hmm. um, strung from trees. Yeah. And you hear Mike say, you know, that this, or I don't know if it was Mike or Josh, but they say, you know, the, this ain't no redneck or something. This ain't no regular redneck yeah. doing this. Um, and you're like, whoa, like, yeah, this is, this is way too elaborate for some townsfolk people to be, to be doing this. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of adds to the dread that's, that's forthcoming, right? Like Mm -hmm. the movie is like building suspense, but I feel like it builds suspense very slowly. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the moments in the film where like the, the horror fanatic in me was like, yes, something weird something crazy out of character for these woods like a bunch of hanging voodoo dolls like i'm (laughs) i'm here for it but like how did they get there you know my mind is racing with a thousand different questions that moment yeah and and those questions are never really uh answered at the end i I would think but but you know what i think is interesting is that it is universe building and you know what's come of this has not only been you know three three movies um and I, I don't know if uh, the Blair Witch Two is really canon to to the rest of the series, but uh, there's comic books, there's video games. I mean, th- there was so much that was built off of this one hour and you know twenty minute found footage film that I think by raising questions they they succeeded in you know opening up so many doors. You know that that clearing of voodoo dolls, you know, which again is never really answered. In this movie, um, definitely is something that could be addressed later on in in a very frightening way. Mm-hmm. So going back to the end, because there's a lot of interpretations about the end. I think the most straightforward one is that there is a witch. Uh, the witch killed Josh mm-hmm. and used his voice to lure the other two to that house. The witch lures Mike down first. Uh, forces him to stand in the corner 
while the witch kills uh heather mm-hmm. and this is just kind of a nod to some of the 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 lore that was shared by the uh by the townspeople at the beginning of the movie um so that is more or less the the most straightforward explanation that house was supposedly to have been burned down so the mere fact that they were able to find it and kind of see the uh, see evidence of you know that that um, the the person Rustin Parr's existence is kind of like oh whoa what the hell why why is this here sort of deal, um, which kind of leads to this theory of time travel, where they're caught in a time loop and kind of walking around the forest. Uh, over, like in the same areas over and over again, which is why they can, you know, they end up in the same place, number one, and number two can never really find their way out. And number three, they end up finding this house that was supposedly had burned down. A uh, bit of a stretch, um, a little bit fantastical, I think. And, you know, for people that are into that, that that's fine. Um, I, I guess my only problem with that is there's really no clues of time travel. Uh, being in existence in this film. I, I guess other than, you know, maybe the witch is transcending time and, you know, coming in and, and affecting all these people in different generations, I guess. But other than that, I don't see any clues of that. Yeah, I can't really see, like, the the directors coming coming back and being, like, like retroactively being like, yeah, it was a time travel movie. You know, I... <laughs> Like you didn't, you didn't get it. Like <laughs> <laughs> we spelled it out for you. You didn't look at the trees. Yeah, what? are you kidding me? <laughs> so one of the most interesting theories about the end of the film is that there is no phenomenon going on. There is no witch. There is no time travel. It is simply a revenge film where Josh and Mike want to uh, murder Heather or possibly josh wants to murder both mike and heather it seems if we were to do go down that approach the the theory of both josh and mike wanting to murder heather is is a little bit more plausible um since you know the, the way that mike was was acting at the very end a little bit more deranged and the way that he was shouting the way that he was moving was was a little bit odd and out of character for you know anybody uh in that who would be in that situation um but there's still some questions about that because well who who would have been shaking the tent in the middle of the night were there more people in on this mm. on this ruse uh which is very very possible yeah and and i think for me with that theory i think unless they you know they want to try and pay homage to the history and the story of the blair witch having Mike in the corner at the very end of the film, like how the townsfolk had discussed that the the murderer or the the whoever lives in that house would would put people in the corner um, while they murdered the other people in the room. If that was the, truly their goal to to kill Heather, I don't know why they would take one of them and put them in the corner and basically render them useless, like in the process of, of trying to kill Heather in the basement. It just, it feels a little bit too uh, out of place for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And 
to your point, I, I think the whole idea of not only murdering her, but also like faking their own deaths to get away with it seems like kind of a like you would it would take a lot of stones to want to do that yeah and like what's their backup plan they weren't wealthy people it's not like they were going to jump on a yacht to go to uh you know go go to cancun after this yeah you know escape extradition or something like Like they were even talking about how like oh shit like i have to get to work like on monday like if not there at 9 a.m like i'm fucked you know like yeah like that's not someone that like is just up and ready to like you know get out of dodge right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's probably someone who works at blockbuster yeah um yeah and i i think that if uh, all things considered like if they really were planning on you know escaping um maybe the reason why they would have done that is to um create more evidence that they were being possessed by the Blair Witch because, you know, they had heard legend, the legend of Rustin Parr doing the same thing. That's the only thing that I can really think of. But you're absolutely right that they, they're even the motivations. Um, there's nothing really, really clear about, like, why they would want to murder her. Mm-hmm. Um, other than in her journals that if you go to the website and read, it says that her and Josh used to date. Um, but other than that, there's really not a heck of a lot of information that would point to the, uh, to the motivations to kill her. Yeah. So let's wrap this up with probably what's the most important aspect of this podcast. What did we learn from this movie and what do we want to use from this movie in our film? Uh, so one thing I think that we learned is that you don't need to have a huge budget to create something (laughs) scary and um, something that people want to see. Right. I like it. What would you say? Well, what what was your biggest uh, learning experience? My my biggest learning experience is the the viral marketing thing. I I think that is absolutely some like an aspect that I have not even considered Uh like that. You, it might even make more sense to pump more money into the marketing aspect of this than the actual filmmaking because hype is everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, actually let's just focus on the viral marketing first Mm -hmm. and let's, let's not. (laughs) The fire festival did it. Yeah. Right. And that turned out great. (laughs) (laughs) And then they made a movie about the fire festival. Honestly, maybe that's, maybe that was their whole plan the whole time. You know, maybe they didn't even want the music festival. They just wanted the, the street cred, you know, (laughs) Ja Rule, my hero. Yeah, right. <laughs> so from a movie-making aspect, any aspects of this film that you you want to put into our movie? Um, I still love the idea of not being able to see the villain for as long as possible. I I think it it, it allows the, the consumer of the film to generate the scary being or the, the evil uh, in their own mind. And sometimes that's a lot more scary than any special effects artist could do with makeup or costumes um, or, or, but do we have to see them at the end of the film? Uh, This might be a debate. This see, I think it would depend. It would depend on the film. Um, But if it's anything like what we've been talking about um, internally, I, I don't know. I don't know if we would need to see them Um, for this Mm -hmm. movie. I would have loved to have seen it because I felt like we just kind of got like jerked around for an hour and then we got like 10 minutes of like really scary shit at the very end. Uh, 
maybe if there was a little bit more flow to the movie, you know, a little bit more ups and downs as far as scariness and, you know, like the calm and then the storm and the calm mm-hmm. storm, I feel like we would be able to get away with not showing. Yeah. What do you think? I, I, I'm kind of on the fence too, but uh, I think that I, I want questions left at the end. Like you can, you can show the villain. It could be, but that villain could have been somebody in a costume. It could have been one of the characters in the costume. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could have been a, a legit ghost. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I want, like, I, I like the idea that kind of the same way that the Blair Witch was able to leave enough doors open that people would want to explore it and still continue to discuss it, even though some of them might be an extreme uh, take. I think that is that makes a movie more memorable. Yeah. So I, I will... I will accept your idea with the uh, with the caveat that um, you know I, I want an ending that people will still talk about like oh who, so who do you think that was or you know what what do you think that person's motivations were yeah um, I don't want it to be you know uh, an end with a bad guy with with a villain monologue yeah absolutely um, the only other thing that I would add is and this isn't something that we have to commit to yet but I, I am really. I'm almost 90% sure that we have to go the route of found footage mm-hmm. and it would be found footage single shot for two hours. So it would have to be events that occur in a two hour span. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it's, it's probably the most economical. It also addresses a lot of the loopholes that like questions that I had that I talked about at the beginning of the pod of, you know, okay, well, why is it presented to us in this way? And why did they, you know, turn the camera on and turn, turn it off the way that they did? Um, I I don't like having those questions because I feel like, again, it it creates a level of inauthenticity, Mm -hmm. but that's not something that we have to decide on right now, but it is something I am going to put on the table for further discussion later. No, absolutely. I think that's a, I think that's a great idea. Awesome. Well, now the million dollar question or $60,000 question, because that's our, that's our budget. Uh, do we have enough material to quit our jobs and make a horror film, Alex? I would say no. Uh, we're getting, we're getting closer. We're so close. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think we've still got quite a ways to go. There's a lot more film out there that we need to explore. And, um, yeah, get, gain some more insight from. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thanks so much, Alex, and we'll uh, look forward to the next one with you. Yeah, absolutely.